What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 57 Big Pimpin' Four Days Later Pookie Chang limped up the steps of 2007 Franklin Street. The porch had been cleaned of debris. Yellow hazard tape was strung between posts, marking the danger of the broken rail that Brian had driven Erickson through just a few days ago. Pookie glanced back to his Buick. Night was falling. The street lights were slowly flickering on. John Smith leaned against the passenger door, sipping on a cup of coffee. He smiled and gave Pookie a thumbs up. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Pookie tucked the manila folder under his arm. Someone had replaced the wooden front door. The new door was tasteful, artistically etched, and solid steel. Pookie pressed the door buzzer. He still ached. He was beat to hell. His body would recover. But would his mind? That shit had been too much for anyone to see, let alone a modest, God-fearing boy from Chicago. The door opened. Brian Clauser stood inside. He looked fine. Days earlier, he'd had burn blisters, broken fingers, and a line of staples up his ravaged cheek. Now the only thing marking that face was a neatly trimmed dark red beard. At least his face looked okay. His eyes? They stared out in a way they never had before. Brian had seen too much. Too soon. Bri Bri! Pookie said. How are they hanging? Brian shook his head. Sorry, bro. The name is Jebediah now. Although I may just go by Jeb. That does have more of a Dukes of Hazard feel to it, but I'd rather not see you in short shorts. In that case, just call me Mr. Erickson. Pookie laughed. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll get right on that. You gonna invite me in or what? Brian nodded quickly and stepped aside. Pookie walked in. Like before, the house's old-time finery overwhelmed him. Only now the place didn't belong to some crazy old man. It belonged to his crazy best friend. Pookie followed Brian into the living room, again taking in the teak, marble, polished brass, and fancy-pants picture frames. Emma sat curled up in a beautiful, gold-gilded Victorian-era chair. The dog had a white bandage wrapped around her head. She saw Pookie and started wagging her tail, although she made no effort to get up. Pookie pointed at Emma. Bri-Bri, I know you have all the culture of a stale Milwaukee's best spilled in the bleachers of a tractor pull, but you might want to get the dog off a chair that costs more money than my Buick did when it was new. Emma can sit wherever she wants. She lives here. Pookie heard the tone in Brian's voice. Emma was the man's last connection to Robin. The dog would have the run of the house, to say the least. Pookie walked to Emma and carefully twirled her ear. 
Her eyes narrowed in a quiet, doggy smile. He patted her rump, then turned back to Brian. So you own all this now? Sort of. What do you mean, sort of? Well, Erickson still owns it, Brian said. It's just now I'm basically Erickson. You're looking pretty fly for a 70-year-old. Brian nodded. Yeah, well, the mayor is going to take care of that. He knows some people. What kind of people? I'm not sure, Brian said. Powerful people. All I know is now I'm the savior. I'm willing to go along with it for now. So you're not going to make this insanity public? You suddenly buying into Zhao's line of BS about property values and how people don't need to know? Brian chewed his lip, then shook his head. I don't care about that right now. I think Sly got away. So did Firstborn, maybe. There were hundreds of those things, but we didn't see hundreds of bodies. The tunnel we came out of is gone. I need to figure out where the rest of Marie's children went. And if Robin's killer is out there, I have to find her. Hunting is going to occupy my nights, Pooks. I don't give a shit who foots the bill. Pookie nodded. His moral imperative to bring a vigilante killer to justice wasn't quite the same when said vigilante had saved his life. Twice. And after the things Pookie had seen, how close he'd come to death, maybe this way was better after all. Hey, you clean out that wacky basement yet? Could have one hell of a yard sale, I imagine. Ryan shook his head. Hell no. A trophy room is for trophies. Uh... Bri-Bri, you're not taking up taxidermy, are you? Brian shrugged, said nothing. Pookie could only pray that Brian kept at least a shred of his sanity and didn't go down the same path Erickson had. I've got some good news, Pookie said. Word at 8.50 is that Chief Robertson is clearing you of the murder charges for Jeremy Ellis and Matt Hickman. Brian nodded. The mayor made sure that would happen. Robertson brought him to the hospital yesterday to talk to Amy. Chief Amy Zhao was now just Amy? Is it true she's staying here? Once she gets out of the burn ward, yeah, Brian said. Amy's a wreck, Pooks, physically and mentally. She won't talk at all. She's not all there, man. I don't know if she'll ever recover from what she did. I'm getting her help, the best money can buy. The girls are staying here until she gets out. Brian Clouser, former bachelor cop, now the caretaker of two little girls. You know anything about raising kids? He shook his head. Nope. Until a couple of days ago, I didn't know anything about killing monsters. You figure out which one is more complicated. What about Aggie James? Anyone pick him up yet? Yeah, that's the not-so-good news, Bri-Bri. It seems there was a lot of confusion at the hospital after the shootout. At about 6 a.m. that morning, an officer Johnson walked into the maternity ward. Brian shook his head, then laughed admiringly. <laughs> no way. Way. Funny thing about a badge and a gun is most people don't stop to validate your ID. Once he got in the maternity ward, he just took the baby and ran. We're looking for him, but as of yet, he and the baby are nowhere to be seen. Jesus, Brian said. That baby. He's like Rex. 
We have to find him. Pookie nodded, but wondered what Brian would do if he found the child. Killing a monster was one thing. Murdering a baby was quite another indeed. So, Brian, if His Highness the Mayor cleared your name, why don't you go back to being my good buddy Brian Clouser? Brian paused. He looked at Emma. Because Brian Clouser never really existed at all. And after all that went down, well, he's just gone, Pooks. Leave it be. Pookie would, but only for now. Chief Zhao wasn't the only person wrecked by all of this. So was Mike Clouser. No matter what it took, Pookie would patch things up between the father and son. Brian looked down to the folder in Pookie's hands. That for me. Pookie handed it over. The handyman struck again last night. Brian opened the folder and glanced over the crime scene photos. Victims five and six, he said, and again with cutting off the hands. We've got nothing, Bri Bri. He leaves the symbols, but that's it. You and I both know the police will never find this guy. It's you, or he keeps going. Brian nodded. He closed the folder. That seems to be the way things are. Pooks, it's getting dark. You want to come out hunting with me? Pookie had known that question was coming, yet all his well-rehearsed and oh-so-clever answers had vanished. Brian was made to do this. Pookie Chang was not. Pookie shook his head as he walked to the front door. I can't. Me and my new partner have to look into a murder in Japantown. Brian seemed confused at first. Then he opened the front door and looked out to the street, to Pookie's Buick. John Smith waved. Black Mr. Burns is your... your partner? If I'm lying, I'm dying. Brian stared, then nodded. Yeah, that's good. John came through big time, Pooks. You could do a lot worse. Pookie wanted to say, I could do a lot better if only I was man enough to go hunting with you. But he didn't. Brian forced a smile. If you don't mind, I gotta get ready to go to work. Say no more, brother. Brian held out his hand. Thank you, man. Pookie shook it. Thank me. You saved my life for the second time. Brian looked down. Yeah, well, I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't stood by me. Now that Robin is gone, you... Well, you're all I've got. Pookie pulled him in and hugged him. Give me some sugar, you big lug. I'm glad you pinched off that emotional nugget before you go back to being all reserved and resigned and whatnot. Pookie thumped Brian on the back, then let go. Good hunting, my friend, he said, then walked away from Brian's mansion. Pookie felt like a loser for not backing Brian's play, but it was just too much. All that death, Robin, Baldwin Metz, Jesse Sherrow, Rich Ferdy, all killed by something that Pookie still couldn't truly accept as real. And what he'd seen in that cavern, how close he'd come to dying himself. For now, at least. Brian Clouser was on his own.
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 58 Holding Hands Kissing Two girls kissing Hands rubbing on backs Soft and tender Hidden in the shadows of Lafayette Park Holding hands Chameleon felt that cold rage Churning inside his chest Why did they get to kiss? Why did they get to have each other When he had nothing? No one could stop him now Sly said Savior was dead. The police had staked out Ocean Beach and Golden Gate Park, Chameleon's favorite killing grounds. But the police were just human. One pair of detectives had walked within two feet of his position. They didn't notice Chameleon, because Chameleon looked just like the tree behind which he hid. He hadn't killed that night, but the next night he had. It wasn't hard to wait. He waited like a spider. If you sat still and quiet long enough, eventually a couple would come to you. Then you just took them. Chameleon stood at the base of a small tree, his chest and left cheek against the trunk, his arms wrapped around the other side. That was how you hid. You just hugged the tree, then made your skin feel and look like the tree. The shadows took care of the rest. The girls drew closer. He wouldn't have even known one was a girl from looking at her. She had short hair and wore a boy's shirt and pants. But he knew how women smelled. No matter what she wore, that was a girl. A girl who would soon be dead. Chameleon thought it was funny to kill in Lafayette Park, so close to Savior's old house, 
the house Sly had told him to watch for so long. But Savior was gone. Sly was in charge now, and Sly gave Chameleon respect. If Chameleon wanted to hunt, that was fine with Sly. Maybe this time, Chameleon would cut off a head and bring it home for new mommy. She was changing, changing so fast, but she wasn't ready to have babies yet. Maybe the reason old mommy could have babies was because she ate brains. Maybe new mommy needed the same kind of food. Closer still, only thirty feet now, walking, holding hands, smiling, kissing. Cold rage blossomed. The lust to kill swirled through his brain. A noise to his left. He couldn't turn to look, because trees didn't turn to look. Moving might spook the prey. More noise. The smell of a dog. Chameleon didn't worry. The dog would pass by like all the others. He watched the girls. Just another ten seconds or so, and he would grab them, pull them into the deeper shadows beneath the tree. Sly liked boy livers better, but he probably wouldn't mind so much since this was two girls. The dog's smell grew stronger, closer. A growl. Low, deep and aggressive. The kind that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up if you hadn't made the back of your neck feel just like tree bark. A growl so quiet the girls didn't even hear. Was the dog growling at him? He had to take a look. Chameleon slowly turned his head, heard his stiff skin crackling like a bending branch. Just ten feet away, a black and white dog with something wrapped around its head stared at him. Its lip curled up, revealing long teeth that glowed softly in the pale moonlight. Go away, dog. Just go away. But the dog did not go away. For some reason, the dog frightened Chameleon. Dogs weren't that dangerous, but there was something in this one's eyes. Not hunger, but hate. The dog took a step closer, the lip curled higher. A string of drool swung from the dog's lower lip. The jaw opened. The growl sounded gravelly, disturbing. The girl's footsteps stopped. Stupid dog! Chameleon started to slowly push away from the tree. He would have to pounce on that dog and kill it fast, then maybe chase the girls down. Everything was ruined. A hissing sound. Something punched him in the back, pushed his chest into the tree. Chameleon started to pull away, but found that he could not. He was stuck. Then the pain hit. It burned. He squeezed the tree, as if hugging it might take away his pain. The girl's footsteps quickened, faded away. They had run. He opened his eyes to look at the dog again. Now it sat on its haunches. The growling stopped, but its head remained low, its eyes fixed on Chameleon. More footsteps. Heavier footsteps. Ba-da-bum-bum. Family. He was saved. Help me, Chameleon whispered. He couldn't see who was there. I... I can't move and this dog is bugging me. My chest really hurts. I don't feel so good. The footsteps came closer, from behind and to the right. 
Chameleon turned to look. A man in black, his face covered by a fabric mask painted with a white skull smile. Chameleon saw green eyes through the mask's little eye slits. You've been a busy boy, the man in black said. The skull smile didn't move when he talked. That looked weird. Chameleon felt cold, sleepy. Crap, the man said. Emma, I think I nicked his heart. I really have to work on this bow and arrow business. That was where Chameleon felt the burning, in his chest. You nicked my heart? I'll heal up, right? The skull smile shook his head. Not this time. You're gonna die. Right here. Right now. Die? Like... Like prey dies? No. Please. I don't want to die. Please. So polite. Did any of your loving couples beg you to let them live? The man took a step closer. Chameleon reached with his right hand, hoping to grab the man's throat. But the man stepped back effortlessly. Moonlight flashed off metal. Chameleon felt something hit his right hand, just past the wrist. Then he felt a new pain and heard something hit the ground. Chameleon looked down to see a hand on the grass, a hand with skin that looked an awful lot like tree bark. He raised his wrist, now a stump gushing blood. Chameleon stared at the stump, disbelieving. It couldn't be real, couldn't be happening. The man shook something near Chameleon's face. It was a string of twelve severed hands, six pairs wired together from Chameleon's victims, all the pairs then wired together in a long chain. The hands at the bottom were blackened, shriveled, crawling with maggots. The ones in the middle were almost as bad. The ones at the top were still fresh. He'd taken those just last night. I found your collection, the man in black said. You killed six people. Help me, please. They aren't people. They're prey. You know this, brother. The skull smile man nodded. The metal flashed again. Chameleon felt a burning sting on his left wrist. The man bent to pick something up. Then the man in black held up Chameleon's severed hands for Chameleon to see. Chameleon's hands. Oh, no. His eyes slowly closed, so cold, so sleepy. Another flash of pain, this time in his right cheek. Stay with me, the man said. You can't check out yet. This man, he was family. Family was everything. Who are you? Why won't you save me? Think of me as the nasty uncle you didn't invite to the family Christmas. Man in black. Chameleon thought back to the night Savior was shot. A man in black had done that. But that man hadn't worn a mask, so it couldn't be the same person. Something tickled Chameleon's face. He blinked awake. Had he gone to sleep? He saw what was tickling his face. The dead, cold fingers of his keepsakes touching his rough skin. It was like the hands of his victims reaching out from hell, grabbing him, pulling him down. Some of the maggots fell free, 
bounced off Chameleon's face and fell to the ground below. I was going to torture you. Find another way into your tunnels, the man in black said. Or maybe you guys have a new home. I don't know. I figure you have about 15 seconds or so. Any chance you can tell me where Sly lives? Chameleon had to focus, but he shook his head. When he did, the dead fingers caressed his cheeks even more. Chameleon thought of Hillary. Beautiful new mommy Hillary, all safe in her chamber, her body growing bigger every day. I won't tell you. A heavy sigh from behind the mask. Ah, I figured as much. Well, it looks like your time is up. But as you go, know this. I'm going to find your home. I'm going to find your family. I'm going to kill them one by one. All the eyes. All the teeth. But you can keep the hands. Chameleon felt colder than ever. His eyes closed. The last thing he felt was the dead fingers of his victims caressing his face. This concludes the audio presentation of Nocturnal, a novel, by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2012 by Scott Sigler. Audio copyright 2013 by Gigantic Productions, LLC. All rights reserved. Performed by Phil Giganti. Engineered by Corey Young. No unauthorized reproduction or transmission of this audiobook is permitted without written authorization. For more information on this title and other works by Scott Sigler, please visit www.scottsigler.com. have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.